0: going to start our service straight away by singing our first song. Let's stand and sing Let Everything That Has Breath. Seat. Well, Psalm 103 will be familiar, I'm sure, to many of us. It's one of those psalms that we gravitate to when we want help to pray or uh, to form our words when we just want to, to worship God. Let me just read the first handful of verses for you. "My soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul bless the Lord." And do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, sometimes it's quite easy to forget all the benefits and blessings that we have in the Lord, isn't it? We we take them for granted, Or perhaps we get impatient waiting for the full realization of them, healing perhaps. But one day they will be fulfilled completely. We are so blessed with these promises, these truths. How many of us know that the world around us is a world that is filled with fear, with insecurity, with ignorance, with death? We are blessed with the one true light and he has promised he will never leave us. We're not only saved from darkness and evil on the one hand, we are blessed in Christ with every blessing and the one true light on the other. And there's more to come when we get the full realisation of these things. So this morning as we gather as a church family, let's make it a resolve to focus on the Lord, to worship him, to feed on his word in our inner beings, to remember the cross, And to leave here today refreshed and rejoiced, willingly praising him for who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, as we gather as a church family today, we ask that you will sanctify us by your word. We come with different hopes and dreams, different pains and burdens, unique situations, but with the same need for our all-sufficient saviour. Lord, give us your grace, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Draw us near this morning, cleanse our hearts, our minds and our souls, and stir us to worship and to action. And we ask again, as we so often do, that we can leave church today different to how we have entered. May we be strengthened in God's power, with our faith firmer and deeper, with our desires purer, our minds transformed, and our love for you and for others nobler and richer. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's stand and sing another couple of songs. Your seats. I we'll have a few notices to share with you, and looking ahead, what we're going to try and do is cut down the number of, if you like, regular notices. So, if you want details about our normal ministries in future, please go to the connect corner in the back of you're here in person or online. Get in contact with the contact form there, and we'll go to explain those to uh, those few things for you. I do have some notices today, though. The first is that after the service this morning, there's going to be a meeting for anybody who's interested in baptism. Now, we do have a baptism service coming upon the 4th of February. Now, there's no commitment if you go to this meeting, of course. But if you've got questions about baptism, you want to know why we do it, what it would mean for you, then please make your way to the resources Centre straight through those doors after the service. You'll have time to get a quick tea or coffee first and take that through with you. And if you want to be baptized, of course, that's the that's the next step for you as well. So straight after the service this morning. Uh, this evening we have our extra time at five o'clock. It's in person in the back hall. If you can't make that or you prefer to watch online, then there will be a stream. The email with that link has already been sent. And this is really going to kickstart our week of prayer. A little bit more about that in just a moment. But tonight we're going to be looking at how Elijah was able to pray fervently uh, and how that's meant to be the normal experience for every Christian. It's a challenge when we look at our prayer lives, isn't it? So we're going to look at Elijah and how he was able to do that and why we sometimes struggle. Why can it be so hard sometimes? How can we rediscover that joy of prayer if we need to? So that's extra time this evening at five o'clock. Please join us if you can. A week of prayer, like I say, is this coming week, so no house groups on Wednesday. Instead, we'll be meeting here for prayer at 7.30 in the back hall. So please do come along if you can make that. It's really important that we praise the church family. There are also going to be opportunities to meet in person here on Tuesday and Thursday at midday. Now, there will be people who are very busy who want to come along for a part of the time, may come late, can't stay for all of it. That's fine. Just please come and do uh, what you can. And we're hoping as well, we sent out the Zoom options by email. We're hoping to run some morning sessions as well. So just keep your eyes open for those, please. You know, we did this last year and it was such an encouragement. All of us who came along were really blessed and encouraged by it. So I just want to encourage you to make every effort uh, to do what you can in this week of prayer. Uh, And not just for personal benefit. You know, as a church, we need prayer. We need prayer to live. We need prayer to thrive. We need prayer to keep close to God's will for us. Uh, So there's a corporate responsibility in this as well. Uh, Next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. in the back hall again, we have a special message from Greg. And this is on the sufficiency of scripture really important you know we often refer to the bible here it's our ultimate authority how hey, can we have comp- uh, confidence in that why is it so important so do come along next sunday evening if you're able to join us for that and finally on the 21st and 28th of january after the services we're going to have membership classes uh, and as with the baptism meeting there's no obligation but if you want to know what membership is what it looks like what it means for the church and for you as individual then come along to the membership classes bring all your questions <laughs> and we'll gladly help those as well. Again it's in the resources center um, and get a tea or coffee first if you want to. You know if you are a Christian you really should be committed to a local fellowship either here or if you're living uh, elsewhere or watching online from a distance physically in person there's no substitute for it if you can possibly do that. So do please seriously consider membership if that's something that you need to do. Well we're going to stand and sing one more song again so let's stand as the musicians leaders into here is love. take your seats that's one of those songs you can sing again and again and again isn't it we're not going to don't worry we will we will move on well we now have an opportunity to serve again by giving back something of what god has given us financially to support the needs of this church and many ministry partners the students would take the offering please no time for our children to go through to their classes and their nearly hour of power.
1: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Today we're going to be praying for a couple of things. Uh, got my notes here, make sure I don't miss out anything. We're mainly praying for Will McKinney, and we're going to also be praying for our house groups that we have here at TCM. Now, for those who don't know Will, he used to come to this church uh, in 2005 when he was serving <coughs> in the U.S. Navy at uh, Waddington RAF here for uh, around three years, and during that time he used to uh, help the, uh, with the youth work. And when his time was up from the navy, he went back to America and studied in a seminary where he met his wife, and then they got married. They went to Iraq, Kurdistan, to serve there. And a short time later, he went back to America. And I was serving in Florida in a small little church. He's got four young kids. The last edition was last December. His name is Will, same as his father's. So, apart from being a pastor, Will has another job. He teaches uh, as he teaches naval. Science, because the church is too small to support him financially. So I contacted him this week and I said, what would you like me to pray for? So he sent me a message and I'm going to tell you what it is that he needs praying for. He says his church and he wants us to pay for his church and his role as a pastor, that God will give him the strength and wisdom to continue preaching faithfully. And to pray for his second job, because there was a danger that he might lose it, because if the numbers don't increase, they shut it down, and he will not be able to sustain himself and his family financially. That God will encourage his congregation to grow in evangelism. We're very blessed in this church. We have an evangelism team. We go out there and proclaim the truth. They don't have that, so they're praying for that. And he specifically asked me to pray for the salvation of his children, and the children of his congregation. So we're going to do that. But of course, we're also going to pray for our home groups. And if you're not part of the home group, you come to this church, I'd like to encourage you to go to the Connect Corner and connect with one of the home groups we have. That's the best way to connect with the family of the church, to get deeper, to get to know people, and to get to know the church better. So that will be great. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we want to acknowledge today openly and publicly that you are an awesome God. And we are wretched sinners who do, do not deserve saving. Yet, by grace alone, through faith alone, that we can be assured of our salvation and be confident of our eternal life in you, not because it's something we deserve, because, but it's because of what you did. Jesus, we want to thank you for the gift that we have, this eternal life we have, that is available to everyone who's willing to bow their knee, repent, and put their trust in you. Your love is so great that you were willing to step down from heaven to enter into your own creation, to give up your glory and majesty whilst we were still sinners to pay for the punishment of our sin, our rebellion, and our crimes against you. Father, we will... Jesus, we can never understand this great love of yours, and uh, words escape us to describe the magnitude of what you've done for us. We have so many things to thank you for. We thank you for William and uh, for his um, commitment, him and his family to serve you and to worship you in Florida and the church that he serves. I want to thank you for all the work that he does, for his faithfulness. We also want to thank you for saving him from the recent warning of the tornado. He specifically asked us to thank God for that because they were worried about that. And we also ask you and thank you for providing for him financially through his second job that he has. We pray, Father, that until that congregation grows so that they can support him entirely, we pray that his second job will be safe and secure for the provision financially. Father, we ask you that uh, you will give that congregation... That zeal, that passion to want to go out and proclaim the truth in the streets to foreign, to strangers, to people they don't know, to tell them about the eternal life they can have in you. So we ask you also, Father, that you will give, uh, will, the Um, uh, The strength, the encouragement to continue faithfully preaching truth from the platform, that he won't deviate to the left or to the right, that he will passionately declare the truth regardless of how challenging it may be or how it may conflict with the society. Thank you for his willingness to do that, to honor you in that way. Father, we also want to ask you for the salvation for his kids, for his children, and the children of that church. Father, we, you encourage us to pray for our children, encourage us to pray for such challenging things, and that's what we want to do today. Father, we ask you that this generation that is about to come in that church will love you more, they will worship you more, and that they will serve you more than any of the previous generations during in that, enviro- in that um, city, in that town, so that there will be an awakening in that town, so that there will be a revival in that city. Father, we acknowledge that you are an awesome God. Therefore, let us pray for awesome things. Our expectations are high in that area. Jesus, we also want to bring to you our home groups. We want to thank you for each and every one of them. We thank you for the leaders in those home groups. We pray that you will guide them so that they can lead in wisdom, that these home groups will create a connection with people, create a connection with the church, but more importantly, a connection with you and an understanding of Scripture even more deeply. So, Father, use these home groups to honor you and glorify you so that we can live our our lives more honoring for you. We also want to thank you for the, uh, the offering, the collection we had this morning. We want to thank you for all and each person who's giving out sacrificially from what you have already given us. Father, help us to acknowledge that we're not giving you anything. We're just returning what you've already given us. We get to keep most of what you give us and return just a small portion. We thank you for each and every person who's done this, whether it's online, whether it is in person, whether it is some electronic means or standing orders to the bank, whatever it is, Father. Use it for your glory. We pray that you'll give us wisdom to know how to use these finances in a way that will be honoring to you. And we also want to pray for our pastor this morning, for Pastor Greg, whom we love and we honor. We ask you that you will give him an extra portion of anointing, that he will speak with wisdom and authority, that he will speak truth from your word that what he teaches us today will bring light understanding and the conviction of the holy spirit so that we will lead our lives in a way that will be glorifying to you we pray all these things in jesus name amen
0: thank you john excuse me well in a minute danny's going to come up and read scripture from us Uh, She's going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. When we look at this letter of Ephesians written by Paul, he opens it just with this outpouring of praise to God for his grace towards Christians. And it leads into his first prayer of the letter. Now, when we find prayers like this in the Bible, it's always helpful to compare them uh, to our own prayers. We can ask ourselves, do I pray like that? Do I share the same concerns and priorities? And later in the letter in chapter three, Paul's going to offer up another prayer that will build on the ideas in this first prayer that we're going to look at in depth this morning. So as we listen to Danny read these words, just think again about who it is that we're going to be praying to and what he's able to do. So as Danny comes and reads, please stand as she does so and remain standing afterwards. We'll take one more song before Greg comes and brings God's word to us.
2: Good morning. Just a few seconds ago, the glasses fell out of my reading glasses. But as a good and faithful Christian, I brought a cheap spare. We're all good. As Ian said, we're going to read God's Word in Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. And uh, you can find that in the Pew Bible, the Red Bibles, uh, on page 1036. That's 1036. Ephesians one fifteen. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his holy body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way.
3: my faith will fail Christ will hold
4: so pleased to be back with you. I had some time off with the family and we got to spend time with our son who's studying over in California, so it's great to have him back. We left him at Heathrow Airport on Wednesday and trusted he got on the plane and the plane landed and it did. He's safe and enjoying his time back there, but we are grateful for that time. I'm especially grateful for Ian and Roger being able to not just stand in the pulpit, but to give an exposition that was helpful to our souls, and so I'm always thankful to be part of a team of men who are seeking to honor the Lord. Well, this week, as you know, is the prayer week, and I hope that you'll take advantage of the opportunities we have to pray, and just remember, if you can't join those times, maybe you could pause around that time and, and pray. Kind of at a distance at the same time, but if you can't pray at that time, find times throughout the week just to carve out and really lift up this body to the Lord because, as you know, we desperately need God's help in all things. Well, please open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, and in verse 14 is where we're going to begin today. On the Pew Bible, it's on page 1075. And we always encourage you, if you do not have an English Bible at home, we want you to take that as a gift or just stop by the Connect Corner, they can give you a Bible, but we want you to have one and to have that as your own. Well, before we begin, the best way to start out is in prayer. So would you pray with me as we start out? Heavenly Father, and what a, a name that is. It's something that you've revealed to us and how incredible it is we can call you Father. And it's more than a title. It shows that you are generous and kind and, and caring and protective. You became our father when you adopted us as your sons and daughters. And that's why we were your enemies. We were haters of God. We were dead in our sins. We wanted nothing to do with the light. And yet you came after us. And that's why we can know you as father. And as a father, you know our needs. In fact, you know what we need better than we do. The problem is that we often choose to worry instead of trusting you, so forgive us. We choose to complain and to grumble and demand when we don't get what we think we need instead of thanking you and being grateful for what you've done for us. Forgive us for that. Please also forgive us for delighting in what you give us and those gifts instead of you, the giver. Instead of looking to you and celebrating you and your your generosity, father please forgive us for that. now as we go to look at your word, the fact is we are going to need your almighty power to keep our minds focused to help our minds understand to stir in our hearts a desire to please you to obey to change what we need to but I trust that because you're a generous and kind God that your limitless love will sustain us and enable us to press on so, Please do that today among us. And we do pray in the name of your great son, Jesus Christ, amen. I remember learning how to run when I was just a little guy. I started running when I was about 10 years old on the track, the 100 meters the 400 meters. But as I got older, I got into longer distances, and I wanted to get better. And so my coach gave me some great advice. He said, if you want to run faster, run with people who are faster than you. So I thought, that sounds like a great idea. Well, it wasn't until until you run a few moments with them, and you realize they're running at a pace that's really hard. It's really fast. And I, I couldn't keep up, and it was brutal. And I realized that's the reason why they are the fastest people on the team. That's why they win the points at the meets. Well, I kept at it, and before long, I started being able to keep up with them longer and longer. And then I was able to surpass some of them, and eventually got to the point I was among the top five people on the team as as I got older then i noticed the younger team members were doing the same thing that i had done they were trying to keep up with us and i remember one young runner in particular he wanted to run with us but he couldn't keep up but he was so determined to stay with us he would cut the shorts or do shortcuts to try to catch us and so instead of doing the full workout and learning to develop stamina and strength develop the mental tenacity that he needed he took shortcuts Now, we admired his desire to be with us, but it wasn't helping him to become a better runner. And after a while, we noticed that he didn't come to practice as often, and eventually he dropped out because he never took the time to grow and develop as a runner. Now, this is obviously a metaphor for many areas in life, but isn't it true for our prayer life as well? Isn't it true that we often look for shortcuts instead of going through the hard work of developing discipline and consistency in our prayer life? We often just hope there'll be a zap of some kind of supernatural power that suddenly we're, we're the marathon runners of prayer. But the fact is, if we want to learn to pray, we can't take shortcuts. And one of the best ways to learn to pray is try to keep up with the best people who pray in the Bible. So I want to invite you today to try to keep up with the Apostle Paul and how he prays. And as you endeavor with me to learn from him, in your own heart, ask the Lord for the strength and the stamina to follow him, not just for today, but perhaps throughout this week of prayer, perhaps for the rest of the month. And as we continue on to develop this kind of consistency in our prayers and to pray in the same way that we see modeled here. So to help us get our our mind around what's going on, let's go to the text and God's word is precious, isn't it? It reveals God himself to us in specific ways nothing else can. And so out of gratitude for God's word, we can demonstrate that by standing as God's word is read. So would you please stand with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And this is Holy Scripture. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, height, and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Oh, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives our souls. Would you welcome it today? And you may have a seat. So there's a big idea for this passage. There's always one proper meaning and we seek to understand that so we can apply it in hundreds of different ways. So here's the big idea for this passage. In Ephesians three fourteen through 21 it's going to teach us three important elements of biblical prayer. There are three important elements of biblical prayer so that you will pray with great confidence. I want to pray with greater confidence and I found this text to be incredibly helpful and timely for me. The first Element we see is in verses fourteen and fifteen it 's addressing secondly there 's an asking in verses sixteen through nineteen we 're going to spend most of our time there today, and then finally, an anticipating in verses twenty and twenty one Three important elements now we 're diving into the middle of this letter, so to give you a bit of background i 'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but to orient us a little bit, the apostle Paul is writing this letter he 's in prison in the city of Rome. He's not going to die there at this point. It's still a, a couple, three years before he will be executed. But he's writing a letter to these people that he had personally met. He spent about two years with them. And you can read about that endeavor to start a church here in Acts chapter 19. It's a, it's a wild story. And one of the things we learn about these Ephesians, and it's so clear in the letter itself, is these people had a background, many of them in black magic, It's like Harry Potter kinds of stuff, but real, scary kinds of things. We have documents of the spells they try to give, of the ways they try to manipulate the spirits for their gain. But when they came to Christ, they knew they couldn't walk that path anymore, but they lived in fear of the power that they knew was in the spiritual world. And so the, the danger for them was to go back to those spirits to try to appease them. But Paul was saying, Christ is greater He alone can protect you. And he has supremacy over all the powers that you can imagine. And then there's more as well. And so when we get to this prayer of Paul in 14 through 21, he's focusing on specifically how Christ exceeds far above and beyond all the other physical and spiritual enemies that they may face. And so he begins this prayer with the first important prayer biblical element of prayer, and that's realizing who you are addressing. Now, you might have read over verses 14 and 15, but there's significant lessons for us in this text. So look back at verses 14 and 15. It says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, often I don't give much thought to how I begin my prayer. I just kind of jump in. It's like, hello, God. And then I release my litany of wish lists to him. But Paul doesn't start out that way. He's orienting himself and us around who it is he is addressing. And I wonder, would our prayers change if we thought more about who it is that we're praying to? What might we ask? What might we confess? How might we praise? Well, Paul starts out with those three words for this reason. And whenever you read something like that, you're asking, what reason? And so you look back. And if you look all the way back to chapter 3, verse 1, you see the same three words, for this reason. And what we learned here is Paul in in verse 1 was about to give us this prayer, but the Holy Spirit interrupted and said, no, there's something else that they need to know before that prayer will make sense. And so we get verses 2 through 13. And in this section... It's really summed up in verse 6. Look there in chapter 3, verse 6. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel had made the Gentiles now members of the same family as the Jews. Now, that may be hard to grasp, but in this time, that was unheard of. They were enemies. They they loathed each other, but now they were together in close fellowship. They had all the rights and privileges of God's family. And so these, these Gentiles, they were co-heirs. They were members. They were partners in the gospel. And so verses 2 through 13 establish this, which is necessary to understand the the prayer. And we'll see this in a moment. But we have to ask the question in verse 1 of chapter 3, for this reason, what reason is that? Really, it's everything he unpacks in chapter 2. And that is a marvelous chapter. He's describing the results of Christ's work, what Christ did on the cross, and how it transformed these enemies into one unified body that love each other. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 5, Christ makes them and us spiritually alive in him. In chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In verse 19, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with all the saints and members of the household of God. In verse 20, You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 22, you are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All of this is really building on that prayer that we read earlier in chapter 1. And it was God's power that did this. It took God's power to bring about this impossible state of affairs If you want to grasp what this hostility was like, look no further than the current war between Hamas and Israel. That same animosity existed in this day, and the power of Christ dissolved that and brought them together. The gospel is the only hope in that situation in the world as it was back in these days. And so it is the power of God, and it was a power that's saturated with kindness. That's the reason that Paul has in mind in verse 1 of chapter 3 and then in verse 14. And so this reason is, is that the Ephesians and you today, beloved, you have access to that same power and access to that same kind God as they did. So because these things are true, you can be certain that God will protect you and he'll keep you faithful to himself. Think about this. The triune God, the all-powerful God of the universe, he dwelt in them individually and collectively, and he does the same for us today. So can you realize how this kind of truth will transform the way that you pray? Might you pray for more audacious things? Might you expand your prayers beyond your small sphere of life and look beyond the horizons of what God might do? It should affect the way we pray. Paul was convinced it would. In fact, it affected him so much, he said, I kneel before the Father. This posture revealed humility. It, it demonstrated his submission and respect to God. Physical posture does that. When someone is slouching in their seat in front of someone else it doesn't communicate much respect, but when they're sat upright, looking ahead, paying attention. I I can't imagine what would happen to the soldier who faced his commanding officer with looking away and, and slumped over. It probably wouldn't go over very well. Physical posture does express our inner attitudes. Now, kneeling is just one of the ways we can pray. The Bible has people who stood up to pray. Christ did. Christ stood up and prayed with his arms up. Some people fall on their faces as they pray. Some people sat. It's not just a certain posture that gets God's attention. It's the attitude of the heart, and it's often reflected in the way that we hold our bodies. So Paul, he's so overwhelmed with God, he's physically bowing down on his knees. He's not cowering before a tyrant, but he's humbly, delightfully in awe of this one whom he's praying to. What's amazing here is we see this deep respect and awe that Paul has does not diminish his delight of intimacy with that relationship. Do you remember how Jesus taught us how to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be exalted and honored and glorified above all names. Reverence doesn't kill relationship. It only deepens it. So we shouldn't be the kind of people in which there's awe and gratitude and affection and they're flourishing all together as we come before this God. So Paul knew this awesome God was Father, and as Father he's able to protect, to provide, to defend, and care for them and for us. So in verse 15... Paul takes it a bit further, and he says that this is the kind of father he is addressing. He's the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, God is creator of everyone, but he's not the father of everyone. It's a unique relationship he has only with those whom he has adopted as his children. The Bible doesn't teach that there's a universal brotherhood of mankind. Genetically, yes, but there's not a unifying factor among us because the bible teaches that there are in fact two fathers you either have one or the other jesus taught us this in john 8:44 he said that those who don't believe in him he says your father is the devil the apostle john echoed this in 1 john 3:10 he says by this it is evident who are the children of god and who are the children of the devil Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, genuine belief in God, for those who are adopted by God, it will produce a fruit of obedience and love. Only believers know God as Father. Beloved, do you you value that today? Do you understand how precious it is that God is your Father? When he says that from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that every family is better understood as the whole family. He's referring to all believers who have died and are in heaven and those who are alive today here on earth. It's one spiritual brotherhood under the heavenly father. And when it says that they're named by God, it's highlighting a sovereignty over each of his own. It's his way of claiming you. He says, you're mine. I I name you. I, I claim you. He calls you personally, and he's demonstrating his authority over us. But not in a tyrannical sort of way. It's in a way of relationship, of compassion. What an incredible privilege it is that God would name you, beloved. Have you valued that today? What an incredible way to start out a prayer. I wonder, are you addressing God in prayer in the same way? Might you pause before you pray next and gather your thoughts about the one whom you are going to? Is there anything you might change in the way you think about God before rushing in and spilling off your wish list? We ought to think about who we are addressing. We ought to come humbly, submissively, perhaps physically kneeling before him or having the attitude of that in our hearts. But we can come with confidence that he is our father. So pray With your spiritual family in mind, pray beyond yourself for all those who also are called and named by God. So, this first important part of biblical prayer is that we remember, we consider who we are addressing. And when we do, that'll help us to pray with greater confidence. Well, there's a second important element of praying, and that's looking at how we are asking. So, what is Paul asking from God? The three primary requests we're going to see here. Here's the first one in verses 16 through the beginning of 17. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul asked God to respond according to the riches of his glory, not out of his riches but in accordance with the wealth of his glory. Now, for a billionaire to give according to his riches means he's going to give more than one pound. To give according to would be to lavish out, not to give out of what he has. You see, the greater the riches that one has, the greater the gift must be to be in accord with those riches. For God to give according to the riches of his glory is absolutely staggering. His riches are limitless like his glory. His riches are deep and wide and refreshing. And Paul's asking God to grant this request according to that. That is going to be a generous gift indeed. Now, Paul's in prison And he could have asked this for himself, but he's not doing that. His mind is on them, on these Ephesians, and he's concerned about their spiritual welfare. He's saying that he may grant to you Ephesians. beloved, I wonder, are you sensitive enough to the needs and the concerns of others that even in your trial, even in your pain, you still cry out to God on behalf of other people? What an incredible change it makes in us to consider The incredible riches of his glory. So, Paul wanted God to grant them something specific. It is a spiritual power that would thrive in any circumstance. And the only place he could find that is out of the abundance of his riches. These riches are perfect, like God's glory, they come from the perfect character of God. But God alone is a source of this kind of power. So, Paul does care about physical ailments. He healed people, he healed believers. He does care about financial difficulties. He collected gifts from people to give to those who are struggling. But he knew that God doesn't always will it that Christians have good health and have financial security. So he knew there's something more important and urgent that we need. He knew that we need God's powerful strength on the very inner part of us, our inner being. This is the key to battle anxiety, to battle discouragement. Like in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul, in a few years, he would understand how important it would be to be strengthened on his inner self. When he wrote his last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, listen to what he wrote in verses 16 through 17. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Excuse me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Can you think of a better thing to pray for your brothers and sisters? The Lord himself would stand by your sister as she struggles through the battle over the health that sustains your brother as he, he deals with the financial difficulties. Beloved, psychologists, medical doctors, dietitians, financial advisors, they can give you some level of help, but they can't give you what you need the most. Here it is. You need to be strengthened with God's power on your inner being And it comes through one source. Did you see what it said there in verse 16? Through the Holy Spirit, through his spirit. This is the one who energizes, he revitalizes, he empowers. And we gain that power through an ongoing day-by-day relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are strong, aren't they? They're powerful. You want to go toward those temptations. But it says here, when you walk by the Spirit, you'll have power to not gratify those desires. That's incredible power, isn't it? So where do we learn how to walk by the Spirit? In the Word of God. As we submit to Scripture, God's strength comes as you learn to discipline your mind, to study His Word, to meditate on it, to to memorize it. And then you begin to understand it. And as you understand it, you begin to live it out. And as you obey in a thousand small ways, you start walking with the Spirit. And then you are able to walk in ways you never thought you could, to turn away from temptations that seem to dog you for your whole life. You develop that spiritual stamina to obey in ways that you once dreamed of. And soon you understand what Paul meant, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Paul felt the strain. He felt the exhaustion, but he knew the grace was matching him step for step, strength for strength. He was not going to run out until it was time to rest. He said, the grace of God caused me to work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And that is how the Spirit unleashes that power in us. It doesn't make it effortless, but it means you can keep pressing on. So look at verse 17. This is why Paul was praying for that inner empowerment. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this is kind of a shocking statement. You need the power of the Almighty God so that Christ can dwell in your heart. Do you realize how powerful Christ is? That if he were to just come into your life, you would explode. You couldn't sustain his presence, but you need God's power to do so. Now, this isn't the kind of dwelling that is the first time that you know God and the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's something different here. It's not the kind of power that causes you to do amazing miracles. It's the kind of power that enables you to have a deep relationship with God. Have you considered how much strength it takes to walk daily and faithfully with God? It's hard work. It's hard work. And God knows we need his power to do that, but it's not just doing the work. It's to simply know God, to enjoy God. God takes his power. And so this idea of Christ dwelling in their hearts, that idea of dwelling means to be at home, to settle down, not as an overnight guest, but as a permanent resident. As I said, all Christians are indwelt permanently and sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment of salvation. The the triune God already dwells with you. So Paul's not asking for Christ to dwell again in a a new way. He's asking for a deeper quality of that reality. Ultimately, what he's praying for is greater holiness. Because you see, Christ cannot feel at home in a heart that has sinful thoughts and affections. As a young Christian, I read this little booklet. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's worth looking at. It tells a story of Jesus taking up residence in in the heart and the life of a new Christian. And it describes that, that heart kind of like a house with different rooms. And the man takes Christ to all the different rooms to show him around. And Christ discovers things that are unpleasing. And so the the young man learns, oh, this is displeasing to you, and he, he gets rid of those things. Like he goes into the library, which is like the Christian mind, and it's full of all sorts of worthless things. And Christ cleans those out. Instead, he replaces it with the truth of God's word. Or in the dining room, there's a menu there that's full of all kinds of worldly cravings. And Jesus presents a new menu with all sorts of things like the fruit of the Spirit, of humility, of meekness, of righteousness. And they go through the whole house. They go to the darkest corners where the worst smells are coming from. And they, they clean it out. And then Christ is pleased to dwell there. He feels at home. He feels comfortable. Now you can see why it takes God's almighty power to turn a life around. You, you can only turn from those sinful habits and thoughts and, and temptations by the power of God. But it's going to be a lifelong process. We call it sanctification. It's growing in godliness. But Christ loves to dwell in the heart that's trusting him for the power to please God and taking action to move forward. Beloved, isn't it amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ would want to take up residence in your heart, would want to be known with you, would want to identify with you, Jesus himself had this desire. John fourteen twenty three he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Is this how you pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ? Is this how you pray for your children, your spouses, your friends? They need God's power to let Christ dwell in them. There's a a second request. It gets a little bit deeper. Look at the second half of verse 17 into verse 18 and 19. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. What's interesting, in the original language, this whole prayer request is started with the words, in love, and it ends with, Love, those are bookends. This whole idea is about a deeper experience of love. And it's important for us to understand what love is not because it's so confused today. Love isn't a warm, sentimental feeling. It's not a subjective sentiment. You, you can't be rooted and grounded firmly in an emotion because it shifts so quickly, doesn't it? However, God's love is different. It is a covenantal love that's fixed on the bedrock of his character. It will not change. His love is sincere. It is selfless. It is serving. It is securing. And when you are saved, Romans 5, 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. This is the kind of love you can build your life on. You can put your roots deep into it. This is the love that we see demonstrated when Christ laid down his life for you while you were his enemy. It's a love that will not let you go. Listen to Romans 8.35. It asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. When it has you, his love transforms us. Romans 8.37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than What? conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know about you, but I was not born a conqueror. I was born timid and afraid. I wasn't born courageous, but through Christ, because of his love, it transforms me and and you as well into a conqueror. His love produces certainty. Romans 8 again, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure, here's a certainty, that neither life nor death, Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, only Christ's love is like that. Beloved, have you appreciated God's love for you today? My dear friend, do you know this love? Have you come to know the God who loves like this? It's a holy love that will not let you stay as you are. It's a love that acts and does everything for your good. And that good is to make you become like Jesus Christ in every way. You see, the love of God, it's mind-blowing. It's life-transforming. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation refers to one who satisfies the demands of justice. When justice demanded your punishment, demanded God's wrath be poured on you, the propitiator stood in your place. You can only know the love of God if Christ has taken your place, has satisfied God on your behalf. Dear friend, will you know Christ today? Will you turn yourself to him? Will you turn from your rebellion and trust him? He rose from the dead, and when he did, it was proof that God accepted his sacrifice. Christ has satisfied God. Will he satisfy you today, my friend? Turn to Christ and, beloved, delight in this lover of your soul. Paul prayed that these Christians would be rooted, sinking their roots deep down into the rich soil of Christ's love. That way, when the storms of life come, they're not uprooted and sent away, and they get nutrients from the soil of Christ's life, so that when the sun comes out and and scorches, they don't wither away because they have nutrition from Christ himself. Are you putting your roots into Christ, to his word. You're grounded in this love. You're built up on it. Jesus talked about the wise man built his house upon the rock. The winds came and blew against it. The wind, the rains came down and the house stood firm. Are you built on the teaching and the life of Jesus Christ, my friend? Then you will be rooted and grounded, not just in ideas, but in a loving relationship with God. Now, unless you're rooted and grounded, you won't be able to do what it says next, to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. In other words, you need God's almighty power to wrap your mind around his love. This word for comprehend is the same word that was used to capture a city during war, to surround it and and take it down. So it's talking about wrestling down the thought until you understand it better, not just feeling it, Do you realize how hard you have to work to grasp, just to grasp the love of God for you? To understand the facets and dimensions of his love for you? What questions do you still have about his love? Have you paused this week to think about it and to to marvel over it? Will you trust that God's power is present to help you go a little bit further to understand his love for you? Now, we get a sense for how massive of an endeavor this is because it's to be done with all the saints. In other words, you can't do this alone. It is a community project. To comprehend God's love requires that you're talking with other people. So will you take the time today during the fellowship to ask other people, how have you understood God's love? Where in Scripture do you see it coming alive? I want to hear about it. I need to understand more about it. Will you talk to your children about it during lunch today? Will you tell them God's love rescued me? Can I tell you about it, my son? Tell me what have you learned about God's love? But we need each other. It requires all the saints together. It's not a mystical, euphoric experience. It's building on historical fact of scripture, like the fact of Romans 5:8. It says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's objective. It's a fact. You don't stir up emotions to try to feel something. You look at that, you wrestle that thought to the ground. You can't go beyond the gospel. It is vast and it is limitless. So set your minds on these things that are above you. Fix your eyes on Christ. And that is how you will your roots will go down deeply and you'll comprehend these things. But this love, Paul almost gives us a, seems like a trick. This love, you can't comprehend. It it's goes beyond length and breadth and width and height. The length of it is seen back in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that God chose you before the foundation of the world, and is going to keep you till all eternity. That's a long time. His love goes that long. It's wide in the sense that in chapter 2, 11 through 18, God accepts all kinds of people. Jews and Gentiles, and all the ways that they were, they're equally brought together in Christ. His love goes so high in chapter 1, verse 3, that God blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And His love goes deep. In chapter 2, 1 through 3, God reached down to the depths of our depravity and He plucked you out, a child of wrath, when it was dead in your sins and your trespasses, and he loved you, do you see why it requires God's power just to grasp this incredible truth? It's ironic that he says in verse 19, and this means to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, to know what cannot be known. Look, we're never going to fully understand it, but we can grow in it, can't we? We can get a little bit more, can't we? And it's worth it. Every bit you can squeeze out of this, we ought to be fighting for. I find that every year that I'm married, I'm more amazed at my wife's love for me. I don't know how she keeps doing it. As amazing as that love is, it's, it has limits. It'll go until the day that she dies or as far as she can take it. But Christ's love is Based on limitations. It's limitless. I love how the hymn, The Love of God, captures it. In the third verse, it says this Could we with ink the ocean fill? Were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write The Love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What wondrous love is this? It's a third request that I want us to see, and it's it's shorter. He's, He's getting intensified as he cuts in here. Look at the end of verse 19. He's praying so that you will be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now, remember, the core prayer has been for power. And here we see that power is needed so that your inner being will be able to sustain all the fullness of God. What does this mean? If you look ahead to verse chapter 4, verse 13, it's talking about spiritual maturity. If you look at, over at verse 13, he says, Until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, your spiritual maturity is going to be hindered if you're lazy about thinking about God's love. If you want to grow up to be a strong, courageous Christian, press in to the doctrine of God's incredible love for you. It's an amazing story I heard recently about a couple who were foster parents. They did this for years, but they came to this emergency situation. There were twins who were 18 months old, and they had some traumatic experiences. and They were supposed to just keep them for six weeks, so the couple agreed. They learned that because of previous situations, the twins were damaged emotionally and they were damaged intellectually and there was little hope that they would really grow beyond that level. Six weeks turned into two years, two years of consistent, loving care for these twins. What was amazing is when they were tested again after two years, they were actually ahead of people their own age and their capacity to think and understand If the love of humans can transform other humans, think what the love of God can do for you as it fills you to all the fullness of Christ. To be filled up means to be totally dominated, controlled by God in every way. When that happens, this is what it looks like. You love to come and be around the people of God. You find forgiving natural, though it may be painful. Your speech, your thoughts, your actions they look a whole lot like Christ speaks and thinks and acts. Your goals, your values, your affections are aligning with God's goals. And that happens when you're controlled, dominated, when you're filled up to all the fullness of God. Here's the reality, though. It's going to be a frustration. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve expresses it. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's going to be a great day, isn't it? When you can fully know and understand, but that won't end your understanding of God's love. You will press into this for eternity. So three requests make up his asking. Being strengthened in accordance with his riches, to have strength to comprehend the love of God and to know the love of Christ, and to be filled up to the fullness of God so you'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. It's one last bit we want to look at. and It's this incredible anticipation at the end. He's asking, he's because he knows who he's addressing, and now because he knows whom he's addressing, he's anticipating. Now, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It says, him who is able, that word able is the same word, power. It's translated as power early in this passage. It's him who is powerful to do all that you could ask or imagine. No, I didn't say that right, did I? To, to do beyond all that you can ask or imagine. There's no degree of difficulty for God. It, it goes beyond just his mere power, though it's talking about his generosity, his, his love of giving good gifts to his children. Paul is celebrating the fact that he cannot think of anything that goes beyond God's power and desire to grant. And so if God is not limited in any way, we ask the question, then why, Lord, have I not been given this request? Because God has something better for you or perhaps has that thing for you at a better time. Will you trust your loving Father? You want Him to be given the glory, so default. Make our default thinking that he knows what he's doing. And when you do that, God will be adored and, and thanked and esteemed through your life. We want Christ to be gloried and glorified and honored in the church as we gather together that he would be seen through us. TCM, do you know the love of God for you in Christ Jesus? Do you delight in God's love for you? How about just for this week? We, we leave all the other prayer concerns aside, and We just focus on this one thing. God, give us your almighty power so that we just might grasp your incredible love for us. I pray for my brother that he would understand today that your love will sustain him. I pray for my sister that she would delight in this incredible love that you have for us. And don't leave me out, Lord. I want to understand it more and when you have this God-first mindset, then your desire is that through that, God will be glorified in us. And this will go beyond just our family here. It goes to all generations. And it goes forever and ever. So we're praying for Bhutan and India, Nigeria, the United States, for Wales and England and Scotland and Northern Ireland. We're praying for all the people of these countries, not just now, but we're praying for their great, great-grandchildren, Forever and ever. (laughs) What a reason can we possibly have than to say anything other than amen? I wonder if the music team, if you could come up and lead us in our final song. I hope this has stirred in you a greater confidence to pray. I hope you'll have these elements in your mind and, and pray accordingly. I just want to give you one final thought. Dawson Trotman, the Navigators, he asked this, what's the biggest thing you've asked God for this week? And he said, I'm reminded that you're going to God, the Father, the maker of the universe, the one who holds the world in his hands. So what did you ask for? Did you ask for peanuts, toys, trinkets? Or did you pray for continents? Let's pray big, because we have a big God. Let's stand together and, and lift our voices to him. to hear from you is the one that says forgive me for my sins my foolishness i trust in christ if you pray that prayer he will listen and he will answer that prayer if any of you are struggling in a different ways we'd be happy to pray with you please find us in the connect corner or ask someone around you but let me give you the best benediction we could possibly look at it's the one we just saw Ephesians 3, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.